My name is Anne, and I am an alcoholic. This is an open meeting of the Atlantic Group of Alcoholics Anonymous, and all are welcome to attend. It is our belief that our meeting structure is necessary to maintain the integrity of the group so that it may better carry the message of AA. And since the most important aspect of AA recovery is one alcoholic relating to another, only alcoholics participate. We hope that what you learn here may be helpful to your recovery and or understanding. The format of this meeting is two 10-minute speakers, followed by our information break, and then our main speaker who will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10-minute speaker is Mindy. Hi, everyone. My name is Mindy. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you, Sung, for asking me to speak tonight. It is a true honor to speak at um, any AA meeting. My sobriety date is March 14th, 2007. Um, my sponsor is Devra. And I have some amazing spon um, sober sisters that we are, we just shoulder to shoulder, we take care of each other, and it's amazing the gifts. If you know, you're in this program, um, you know, your lives could be changed. Um, my story started um, back in 2004. I had my first DUI, and uh, it was my birthday week. And actually, yeah, it was my birthday weekend, and uh, I was in the Hamptons visiting my parents. And the cops hide behind the, you know the trees, and I got arrested. My very first DUI, and I didn't think anything of it. Uh, I just thought, you know, I wasn't smart enough, you know, to avoid the cops and had a slap on the wrist and no major consequences. Um, you know, I want to preface that I am not, I was, I've never been a deli drinker, um, so I never gave AA any thought. You know, when I was in my 20s, I had some other um, things that I was involved in, um, but wasn't alcohol, was not anything, you know, that was a problem. Um, so three years later, I was on vacation in Florida, and I got my second DUI. It was hor horrific. I was arrested, fingerprinted. I um, was put in uh, a cell with other women, very scary women. Um, and uh, you can imagine what it's like to be arrested uh, in Florida. They don't joke around. They're really serious. And um, you know, I thought my life was over. I was having hyperventilating, uh, anxiety attack, and. You know, in my mind, I'm like, how am I going to get through this without anybody finding out? You know, so there's just like a sign of, you know, what I was like. I haven't had consequences in my life until 2007, and, um, and that's how I got into this program, due to consequences. And for the first year, I had to go to an outpatient program in Manhattan, and uh, three days a week, I had to take, you know, tests. Um, my insurance covered it, so I thought, oh, I got away with that one, too. You know, it's the mentality. You know, we, we try to get away with things. And, um, and I had to stay at the program for a year. I remember checking off the calendar uh, for each day, each month, passing by 11 months. I finally was talked into uh, um, getting a home group and getting a sponsor. I was mandated from my counselor to go to AA. I had to have um, paper signed. And I wasn't even thinking, wow, I could just sign them myself because I was scared sober. And, um, and I got signatures. And, uh, and I, I think that seed must have been planted. You know, the 11-month uh, anniversary my first year was, was surreal. I'll never forget it, all the cards and the love. People were like, you know, keep coming, Mindy, and the encouragement. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is great, you know, but, um, you know, I'm not an alcoholic, you know. But... Um, you know, but what did I do after the first year? I, I kept coming to meetings, so my higher power, you know. And it wasn't until the fog cleared, um, and I had steps in my life. Step three really helped um, because I'm not. I am a control freak, uh, but being a control freak is not useful for us alcoholics. And going through the work and going through the steps, um, you know, the fog was kind of cleared and. Um, and I was in full acceptance that I'm an alcoholic. And I came into this program um, 
right where I'm supposed to, just in time. And that uh, officer that arrested me uh, probably saved me from having a worse bottom because this is, from my experience, a progressive disease and you don't have to be a daily drinker to be an alcoholic. It's where does that drink take me? It takes me, you know, crowding in New York City was my nightlife. I used to drink in all the bars and I was even uh, thrown out of the lanes for falling asleep in the bathroom. That was one of my favorite spots. I would start at the Rainbow Room and then end up at the lanes and, and the after hours. And, you know, that was the way I drank. I just wanted to have fun, you know, but the fun stopped when, um, you know, I'm a drunk driver and I accept that and um, I can't drink safely. And uh, I would listen to people in the meetings share about, uh, they didn't think they were alcoholic because they weren't daily drinkers and they went out to do a little more R&D. Thank you. And, um, and I listened to them and I stayed and I kind of watched them when they came back and you know, it wasn't any better. So. You know, I kind of stayed and I stuck around, you know, A, some people would say, I don't think Minnie's going to make it, so of course, you know, I have to stay because I'll show you, you know. And, um, and it's amazing that 16 years later, I am here and, um, you know, move a muscle, change of thought. I, I have acceptance that um, I can't drink safely. I'm an alcoholic. You know, the disease of always wanting more, you know, to be out of my out of myself. I just need to like exhale. And what the alcohol did was made me comfortable in my own skin. And um, I was able to be myself and not care what other people think. You know, it took me two years to realize that what other people think of me is none of my business. And that's one of the greatest things to understand because, you know, we all have this disease. No one is better than the next. And, uh, you know, I did worry about other people, what they think, and, you know, we just want to, we have huge egos and low self-esteem. You know, that was where my head was at. Um, the first couple of years in sobriety, I was gung-ho. It was, uh, you know, it was all in. I made meetings at least five days a week. Um, my life did change. I, I got a new job, but, um, you know, sometimes when you have a little bit of time, you know, you start to lay back a little bit and take it easy. It's like being on a diet, you know, you lose 20 pounds. And then, okay, once in a while I could, uh, <laughs> you know, binge a little bit. But, I mean, I never picked up, but um, I'm just saying, you know, we have peaks and valleys and, and life gets tough. And, um, and I've learned how to not react to life, not to react to other people. One of my favorite words these days is pause. Um, keeps me out of trouble big time. Um, and dealing with my family. I'm a middle child. I have an older sister and a younger sister. And um, neither one of them have this disease. My older sister maybe, but she never got into trouble. So, you know, she knew the right people. Um, and, uh, and thank God I have a network of women. I have a sponsor. I get to, like, my thoughts, my first thought about something, I run it by somebody. Um, because usually I, I have to take opposite action and, um, and not react to my siblings. And it's been a tough year, like when I celebrated 16 years, they say sweet 16, but it was a little rough for me because I wasn't all in. I just was kind of relaxing at home and uh, you get out of sobriety what you put into sobriety. And if you wanna be comfortable in your own skin, stay in the center of this program. You know, I had a lot of questions why I'm an alcoholic. It, it doesn't matter why. You just know that, uh, you know, the alcohol takes me to places I don't belong, not ladylike, and um, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful Facebook wasn't around when I was in the, the, the height of my, my runs because uh, the internet doesn't go away, and uh, and really grateful for that. Um, and, uh, and I'm grateful that I uh, stuck around and uh, keep coming. And there's always something to learn. Um, I try to help others. I have sponsees, and you know they come and they go. I'm open to sponsors, you know, sponsoring other women. And um, I want to be selfless. I just hope if I could just help one person in this room tonight, then I've done my service. And um, you know, you can start your day over at any time, and um, we always have more to learn, and uh, I hope that I'm always teachable.
So thank you for letting me speak. Our second 10-minute speaker is Aldair. Hi, my name is Olgierd and I'm an alcoholic. So many people in this room that I love and that love me, and this is incredible. It is a true honor and privilege to be here right now, standing in front of you, because today is my one year anniversary. overwhelmed with emotion and uh, gratitude. Today I'm very, very grateful. Gratitude is the most powerful state of being, and I feel it today. And um, I was a hot mess a year ago, so if, <laughs> if somebody's here counting days, I feel you. I, I, I was there, and now I'm here with one year with so much joy, so much appreciation, acceptance, um, it's incredible. I want to thank my sponsor, who is uh, an, an amazing human being. And I know they say that you shouldn't love your sponsor. If you love your sponsor, you should find another one, but I love him. <laughs> uh, we had that conversation that a sponsor is like a waiter or a waitress. Um, God, higher power, spirit of the universe can be the chef. Uh, the restaurant could be AA. Um, sponsor is the waiter, waitress, and you are the customer, you're the client. But you still need to eat it, you still need to use your hands to eat this, but the sponsor only brings it to you. Well, he's brought it, and I was not an easy sponsee, and I'm very grateful for you. You're, uh, you're you mean the world to me. Um, what a room, what a power. I absolutely love AA, and I absolutely love sobriety. This is the best thing that happened to me, and I thought my life was over. And uh, my first 90 days, I went to 250 meetings, and I didn't shower for a week, and I had my shirt stained in oranges that I ate from the fridge because I ate it like a barbarian. I was picking up a piece of cheese and just eating it. I just didn't know how I'm going to get through the day. But I, uh, but I did, and I... Everything that is happening in my life has an A stamp on it, like property of AA. That's how grateful I am, and I mean it. Because you people, I met within my one year, I met the most incredible people in the whole world within one year. France, uh, just beyond, that will be there forever. And I just hope to stay, I just hope to be here so I can give back what you gave me. Um, I think the, the biggest power and the, the, the biggest strength is and the true fulfillment that I'm now discovering is to be of service to others, to help somebody without even anybody else noticing it. I remember when I came to the rooms, I wanted every girl to see me, and, uh, and, and I don't, I mean, I, I don't and I do, but uh, I am, it's just not the main thing now. I am truly, uh, um, I came from Poland 15 years ago to the U.S. My father is an alcoholic, he's a dry alcoholic. He's 20 years sober. And uh, I remember driving to his work and breaking his bottles of vodka, literally, at his work. He's a sm he has a small business. And I said, I will never be like that. And he was a gentle drunk. He was swaying just a little bit, getting into his room, but very detached. I have one sibling, it's a sister who is mentally disabled, and my mom is an angel. Um, because she had my dad, my sister, and me, and I wasn't easy. I was a rebel. I wanted to do things my way from a, the age I was seven or eight. And then I discovered some other substances. I'll stick to the primary purpose. But then alcohol started, and it really just was fun, was great. I, uh, but I was a weekend drinker because I had big ambitions. I lived in London. I had always wanted to be in New York. 
it wasn't easy to be here. That was that's the whole journey. But again, I'm grateful because I remember when I had 20 days of sobriety, I literally got my citizenship that day. And the same day I went to Camp Kresge to, with 20 days to a sober camp where I met amazing people that are friends for life. And we're going back this Labor Day. And I was crying. I was crying everywhere in the forest, on the stump, in the bathroom. <laughs> uh, the fork fell down and I was crying. And there were 100 people looking at me and those people came with those... Thank you. Uh, people came with those walkie-talkies and I thought they're going to be just lock me up because they are afraid that I'm going to kill myself. That's how big I was literally out of my mind. But I stuck with it. I stuck with it. I kept coming back. I kept calling people. I, I, I mean, so I just, I, I don't want to spend too much time on how I was drinking. I think alcohol is a disease of ego and more, more and ego. And I was so full of myself, so self-centered. And uh, it's like a prison with cold steel bars and concrete slabs and you're locked on the inside and it's cold and it's damp and it's wet and it's dark and you don't see that the key is on the inside. And this program helped me find this key, it's on the inside. With the help of higher power, which is, could be your God, could be the source spirit of the universe, I call it the source. It's that connect, that presence, that, that intense feeling of like, I, that we're perhaps spiritual beings having a human existence and I just was locked in this, this delusion and in self. And now I'm not anymore. I can get out and it still keeps coming back, keeps creeping in. But this is a simple program, simple program, spiritual program with simple steps. And I've done some of those steps. And if you haven't, you've got, I, I, just give yourself a chance and get through some of that. Step five, when I did, it was like dipping my soul in clean water. Step nine is already I'm holding my head up high. I made amends to my family and they're just just so proud of me. My dad was crying. I told him how proud I am to be your son. I never told him that. And now he's 75 years old and he's seeing his son doing this work and he's actually considering perhaps going to AA. That's incredible. I, am, I journal every day. I put pen to paper. There's something so powerful about putting pen to paper. I'll call my sponsor every day at 9.30. I don't even need to set up the alarm. Around 9.28, 9.29, I just know something is up and I have to call him and I love to talk to him. And uh, I do the work. I have commitments at almost every meeting. And now my world become, became so big and professionally and artistically and with people and relationships and everything. And I, some people, somebody called me like when he, they heard I just had a very big success at work and said, you must be flying high. And I said, I don't want to fly high. I want to be right in the middle because you know what happened to Icarus when he flew too close to the sun. I don't want that. I want to be right there in the middle. So I doubled down on the program, picked up more commitments. I'm at the meeting every day. I used to wake up and go to a meeting at 7 a.m. and then at 7 p.m. That's what I needed to do and I'm so grateful. Gratitude and humility, these are my two most important things that I'm trying to learn and understand. I, um, I sometimes I had to, it's, I have to be, I just pass sometimes by Central Park and I look at those horses and I say, what's up buddy, I hear you, I see you, because I like a horse had to just focus on one next right action and let it go. Next right action, let it go. Next right action, let it go. Like a mantra, like iteration, like, like my chanting. And that's what I kept doing to get through the day. And I knew I didn't have to drink that day. So if you're here, you don't have to drink that day. You're, this is the luck, this is, we won the lottery. They say life beyond your wildest dreams. I wake up with so much peace sometimes. I still not all the time, but uh, that I cry. I was sitting on a train with my sunglasses on. I was crying with gratitude. I was shaking, I was so happy. That's where I am right now. Um, next right action, let it go and letting it go and trusting and trusting and finding that connection, that presence and that help. Meditation and prayer can help. I'm on step 9, 10 and 11. I cannot sponsor guys yet, but I hope I will and I will give back what my incredible sponsor gave to me and some of you showed me. Because this is, this is, the, true, this is the true purpose. Like, I want that and I have things to do and I have dreams and ambitions. Uh, thank you. These are dreams and ambitions, but different than they are. I wanted to be a president of the world whole world and I'm, I'm not joking I had arguments for it I was I had a case I knew how to do that I thought and now I don't I really don't it's a it's a lot of work I want to be what you taught me I want to know how to be this in the center of the of the hurricane 
where it's the eye of the hurricane, it's calm, and I see a lot of things flying around. And in the city, you see rats and newspapers and Nathan hot dogs, maybe, but I am right there, right there in the middle, and I'm calm, and I'm calm. And you, I also learned three things from you, three things, how to be a tree within the storm, when that storm inevitably of life comes and just hits you. First, to be flexible, to bend with the wind, because sometimes to let it go and trust that I will not break. Second one, to be anchored, to have this constitution, this stability that this program gives me, this beautiful cushion, this beautiful cushion and this, this power that I can lean on and always know you are there to carry me. And the third one, the third thing that helps a tree withstand a storm is that a tree is in the forest with other trees because you soften the blows of this wind that could be swept, sweep me away. And I'm so grateful to all of you. From my heart to yours, I love you all. Thank you. My name is Tom, and I am an alcoholic. Our main speaker tonight is Beth. My name is Beth, and I'm an alcoholic. And, uh, you know, I woke up this morning. I did not see this happening, like, at all. Um, I'm definitely an alcoholic. My day of grace is August 22nd, 1991. And for that, I take absolutely zero responsibility because I'm beyond human aid to this day. And so I thank God for getting me sober. At that point in my life, I... uh, Oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. Um, At that point in my life, I wanted to drink myself to death. I was 17, about to turn 18. I left the state of New Jersey, which I'm sorry, that's where I'm from. (laughs) Sometimes we pronounce our R's. Um, I just wanted to die. I had my first drink when I was four or five. I started drinking to get drunk when I was in elementary school. I was the kid with all the problems. I have a tremendous amount of trauma and abuse in my background. I'm sure that brought me to uh, alcoholism as a solution a lot faster than it would have without it, and I am grateful for everything. So here I am, 1991. I had left the state of New Jersey, went to New Mexico because The cops knew me. I'd been kicked out of three schools. My father had a restraining order against me, and uh, my parents were getting a divorce, and my dad had the phone tapped, and uh, it just, you know, it was really not working for me. (laughs) So so I decided to go to New Mexico. My grandparents live in New Mexico. My grandparents are both from Sicily. My father is 100% Sicilian, grew up born and raised in Brooklyn. He was a union electrician with Local 3 for a million years. And uh, you don't disrespect your family, except I did. So I just wanted to die. Um, I, only, I was out there three days before I found a hookup to find uh, substances other than alcohol uh, to help me on my way. I put myself in situations on a regular basis that I should be dead. It was also the time in our country where uh, a non-conference approved substance was starting to be shipped into the United States from Mexico. It was being shipped to Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico, which is exactly where I was. I did not plan this. There was no internet. There was no cell phones. This is just where I ended up. By the grace of God, on August 21st, I had gotten myself into a situation where, again, I should have died, and I didn't. And for some reason, I thought it would be a brilliant idea to call my, my mother and say, uh, I, I need to come home and need to get sober. I had been to rehab when I was 16. I stayed sober for three days. Thank you. Um, I did it all myself. I was really proud. Uh, And I came home on August 22nd, and the only reason I know it was August 22nd was because for a long time I still had the airplane ticket. I don't remember things the way normal people do. I am not normal. 
I can get dressed up and I can look normal and sometimes I can act normal, <laughs> but nobody expects this on a regular from me, like ever. And I'm okay with that today. I'll be celebrating 32 years of sobriety in a couple weeks. All that is for God. Because let me tell you something, I stayed sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous for the first six years without understanding how to read. So I didn't go through the book. I didn't drink and I went to meetings and I didn't drink. I am beyond human aid. That means that I'm beyond the big book's aid. I am beyond my sponsor's aid. I am beyond Nicoletta's aid. I am beyond everybody's aid, except a power greater than myself. I stayed sober. I couldn't hold a job for more than three months. I couldn't live in any dwelling for more than four. Everything I owned could fit into my 1984 Honda CRX. If you've ever seen it, it makes a Prius look like a dump truck. I had no insurance on that Honda Del uh, Honda. Honda CRX most of the time. Um, I moved into a halfway house when I had two years sober and all the girls were like, you know, for somebody with two years sober, she doesn't act like it because I was homeless. My mom kicked me out as soon as she got child support and uh, my dad still had a restraining order on me and my first sponsor asked me to read Spiritual Experience in the back of the book. I read it every single night. I still don't remember a word of it. Stayed sober for six years. And at six and a half years, I was sitting in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, I wanted to drink. I was able to keep a job now for a year, so I got a new job every year. <laughs> so proud of myself. Um, and I was able to stay, sustain some relationships for a year or two before I blew them up. But I just kept starting over for those six years, trust me. My dad didn't have a restraining order on me anymore, but I didn't spend any time with him because I didn't know how to be a daughter. And I just kept going back to my mom, trying to get her to accept me, knowing that she never would. Because I thought I, ex I deserved to be treated badly. I deserved to be treated like I was less than. And I only felt better when I felt worse. So I'm sitting in a conference of Alcoholics Anonymous and there's hundreds and hundreds of alcoholics around me and I'm in one of the marathon meetings and it's like 11 o'clock at night and I'm in my 20s and I just get this brilliant idea that I am over 21 I'm going to go to the liquor store, I'm going to buy a bottle of Bacardi rum, and I'm going to drive my Saturn view off of an overpass. It was a flawed plan because Saturns, you can't crash them, and it was made of plastic. There's no way it was making it through an overpass. Like, everything I did was flawed because it was me. So I'm sobbing, crying, because all I want to do, I literally felt the same that night that I felt in New Mexico the night before I came home. I was completely beaten. I had exhausted all means of keeping myself sober, and I was done. And this lady walks up to me, and she's like, why are you crying? And I was like, shut up. Um, which is my favorite word. Not anymore, but it used to be. Uh, and she's like, oh my god, I'm going to go get my mom. And um, that was Casey. And. Uh, she brings her mom over, and this woman looks at me, and she's like, are you done? And I was like, yes, I'm completely done. She didn't know what I was asked. She didn't know what I was answering, and I didn't know what she was asking. She gave me her address, and this was before GPS. This was before cell phones. I still can't find my way around Westfield, New Jersey, and I've lived there for like nine years. And for some reason, I showed up on time at her house. She had told me that night. She said, here's my address. Be there Tuesday at 7. If you're more than 15 minutes late, I'm locking the door shut and light, you can come back another time. And I was like, all right. I don't really conform, so let's see how this goes. I don't remember deciding to go. I do remember sitting in her driveway looking at the clock going, huh, 
Can we do that? I guess I have to go in. Um, Cass took me through the first 164 pages of the big book. When it said write, I wrote. When it said pray, we prayed. When it said do, I balked. 100% of the time. Uh, she is still my sponsor. I am still the queen of being the sponsee from hell. I was almost dethroned, but then I just stepped my game up. I went through the book with a group of women that had a different varied of times, but we all were young. Some of us were 19, I was in my early 20s, we were young. We didn't find out for like six or seven years that my sponsor hated young people. <laughs> so the next time you get told you want, don't wanna do something in the AA, just think about my sponsor. Like there was a large group of us, there were like 13 of us. Like the poor woman. I almost feel bad for her. I balked at four because I got scared. I got so scared. And you know, if you're in here and you haven't done your inventory yet, you don't understand what scared is, except to say that you've got a lot in your car and you just got pulled over by a police officer. That's the kind of scared I was. Like, my life is over. Then I called my sponsor and I said, I can't do this. And she said, it's okay. And I was like, er? She's like, just come over, we'll talk about it. And I was like, what? We're gonna have girl talk with my sponsor? This is so weird. So I like get all excited. I don't know what girl talk is, but we're gonna do it. And I went over to her house and she cleaned off a spot on our dining room table where I had a full view of the stove where she was making homemade sauce and meatballs. And she sat me down. <laughs> at her dining room table and said, you can eat when you're done with your inventory. <laughs> I swear it's the only reason I finished my resentment already the first time around. I was not a firm believer in going through the work more than once, mostly because I don't like going through the work. But I have been through the work now at 22 years, 21. I don't know how long I've been sober. I've been sober a while. Uh, I've been through the work, I think, six, seven, eight times. And when I say through the work, I mean from step zero. We are going to relook at, am I an alcoholic? Am I a drug addict? Am I any other sort of ick? Tons of ick. And we are going to move through these steps and have a current experience because I am not the same person I was the last time I went through the work. I've got a whole new group of stuff that I need to break free from so in order I can be the person that God's asked me to be to carry out the things that he has for me so guess what, I can get what I want. It's really all I'm about. I just like getting what I want. And every five to 10 years, I get in enough pain where I'm like, okay, I will do what you ask. I am not a good little girl anymore. I am probably the most irreverent human I know but there is nothing more important to me than my relationship with my higher power. When you were talking about spirit of the universe and how it is in your core and in your soul, I so connected with you. You have at one year what I have at 30 something. We are so in the same game. It is just today. That is all you have. That is all I have. How much time do I have? <laughs> huh? 17 and a half minutes. So I'm actually going through the work again right now. <sighs> I am powerless over everything outside of me. I have a 14 and a 17 year old. I am powerless over their choices. But let me tell you something, God only gives you what you can handle and he gave me really good kids, which just tells you I'm not a very good parent. <laughs> my kids, my son is 17, he's 900 years old and his friends are all 900 years old and they have lunch dates in third grade about the 
possibility of a second Big Bang. And, and my daughter is the most focused human being on the face of the planet. She's like, I'm in middle school, I gotta get to high school because then I wanna go to NYU. She wants to come live in the city. You are all on call. <laughs> Every single one of you are on call. Anything happens to that child, I will go ballistic. Then she wants to figure out where she wants to go to law school. I'm powerless over all of this. Apparently I'm supposed to pay for it. No idea how that's happening. <laughs> but what I found out through this, this time going through the steps, and, and we're only, we just finished step three, and let me tell you something, like it's been, it's been deep, and it's been um, really annoying. <laughs> I learned in step two that my relationship with my God, I have always said for years and years, I'm a human being, and although God is undefinable, I have to put him in a box so that I can comprehend him in my stupid little human brain. I am a spiritual being having a human experience. I'm not really good at it, but here we are. And what I have found is, is that my box for God has gotten too big for me. My current belief in a power greater than myself is, is that there is his energy in every molecule in the universe. We are all made of stars. And not only is that my faith, apparently that's science. So it works for me. I had 22 years I converted to Judaism because I feel as though there needs to be for me a way to have it here on, on earth with me, a way to go through worship. Worship for me is humility. These are all things that confine my God. And so I'm in this constant struggle and conversation with my higher power of how do I live and stay connected to you when I don't like what you have to offer me. <laughs> and he says, I'm just trying to get you to where you asked me to go. And he reminds me, God does not make too hard terms with those who seek. I've had dark times in my recovery. And when I moved, we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, sight unseen because I had faith in God. I don't know what I was thinking. We decided to stay for seven years. And then I was like, I got to come home. It's actually really funny because I moved down there sight unseen, not even getting in touch with Alcoholics Anonymous. And three days in, I met this woman. I am 17 years sober, I think. And I'm there three days, and I meet this woman, and she shares at a meeting, and she shares Big Book. And I don't know if all of you are Big Book, but there's a difference. And after the meeting, I walked up to her, no idea who she is, and I said, um, I've been waiting for you. And she said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. How long have you been waiting? <laughs> and I was like, three days. And she was like, I feel really bad. I had a hard time getting here from Georgia, but I'm here now. What is your name? And I said, I'm Beth. And she said, I'm Elizabeth. Turns out she got sober the exact same day, the exact same year at the Pacific Group. And I got sober in Jersey. And when I tell you this woman saved my life, she was a human reincarnation of what I needed God to put on earth for me because this woman was the polar opposite of me. Whereas I am an introvert, I am seriously the loudest person you'll ever meet, but I totally just want to be alone and quiet. I totally want to be here in my space. Like I'm a total hippie. Like, I just want to, like, be in the moment. She's out there with, like, the Pacific Group service. She's, like, knocking on my door, finding, I found this out years ago, years after. She goes, I will come to your house and bring Manhattan Bagel to your house and ask you if these are the, as good as the ones in Jersey. She did that. I laughed at her. She was really just trying to make sure I wasn't dead. So when I go dark, I get quiet. You can't get in touch with me. I don't care if I'm your sponsor. I don't care if you're, if you're about to die. When I'm dark and I'm shut, like I have covered myself away from God, there is nothing getting in. I have friends to this day. We have an agreement. 
where if I get dark, I have to at least respond by text. I can say I'm not talking. Or I can say, stop calling. But I have to respond. And she was this person that came into my life, and God put her there. And uh, she kept me alive. And she says the same thing, although I don't believe it. She's like perfect. Anyway, she wound up moving back to New Jersey, and like literally the day she left, we shut the door after having a goodbye dinner, and I looked at my husband, and I was like, it's time to go home. <laughs> go get a job in New York. He did. We came home. <laughs> so we were faced with step three, and I'm going to share a specific step three situation that is personal to me. I'm not expecting anybody to relate to it, but I'm expecting you to hear the message within it. Because that's what this program is about. This program is about one alcoholic helping another. My hope is, is that you will leave here tonight having a different understanding about maybe one situation in your life that you need to give back to God because it wasn't yours in the first place. I really think I'm like one of the worst moms on earth. Now in my head I know that I'm not because I work with people and families who are in deep emergencies with their families and I help them get where they need to be. That's what I do for a living. Thank you. <clears throat> but I think in my core that I must be the worst mom in the world, or at least one of them. My daughter's best friend has mom of the year. She's the cool mom that all the kids want to hang out at her house. She's also toxically positive. <laughs> it's funny, but it's really not funny. Oh my God. So, um, yeah, like my daughter, like I shared before, like my daughter's like on point. The girl knows what she wants. She knows how to get it. She, nothing gets in her way. She doesn't forget anything. She never misses anything. And I'm her mom. Like, I feel bad for the girl. Like, she's like, Mom, uh, don't I have an orthodontist appointment this afternoon at 3? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yes. So my, my daughter and her daughter, they're BFFs for life, and they really are. They're, they're well-suited for each other, polar opposites, which happens to work for the Balabans. We went to the YMCA camp in Connecticut for two weeks. They spent two weeks away from home. I'm so, so proud of her. And uh, she told her best friend to write in her letter to her mom to make, to make sure that my mom knows to pick me up on Saturday. <laughs> like, do you feel what I'm feeling? <laughs> So the mom texts me and tells me this, instead of just saying, hey, what time are you picking the girls up this Saturday, or whatever it was, I don't remember. <laughs> Maybe that's part of the problem. Um, and I literally found myself like in rebuttal texting her and saying, like, yeah, yet another way I get to feel like the worst mom in the world. And I did that kind of with callous and malice, and that was not nice, so I apologized. And she's like, no, I totally understand. Like, I'm perfect. Like, it's really hard. Like, whatever. Anyway, so I literally set three alarm clocks um, on the morning at like 5.30 in the morning because you have to get up. You have to get showered. And my hair has to be perfectly straight. And do you see what humidity does? Like, it's not nice. And um, I have to wear the right clothes with the right sneakers because they're violet approved. Um, <laughs> And I have to leave um, early so that I can get the car cleaned out. Like, I just have allowed what this woman said to me to completely shift my life experience. I was not excited to pick my daughter up. I just wanted to make sure that I looked okay and that it went well. That's not who I am. I am never going to be that person that needs to look a certain way or say a certain thing. I'm all about here, having this experience, hope you want to join. And I get in the car and I get like 10 minutes away from the house and I realize that after being instructed like 500 times before she left, I had forgotten her cell phone that she has not had for two weeks. And I thought to myself, 
Do I embarrass myself and make myself 20 minutes late? Or do I go back and get what she asked of me? It was not an easy decision. I went back and I got it. I thought to myself, I, I don't want to talk to her for three hours on the way home. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really am. I was just like, she asked. Like, literally 500 times. I'm not kidding. We had post-it notes on, like, the front door. Like, don't forget my phone charged when you come to pick me up. And I went back and I showed up. I was, like, one of the first parents there to pick up my daughter. In the car, though, I got to share this because this is the third step. In the car, I was in prayer, and um, I don't care what anybody says, I pray. I drive a lot. I pray in the car all the time, and every car on the road should thank me for it. <laughs> right, Nicoletta? Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm in prayer, and I realize that what that mom thinks of me is none of my business. What my daughter thinks of me is none of my business unless she makes it my business. There is nobody's opinion I want more to be in the good with, you know what I'm trying to say, than my daughter. And I, I just want to be accepted by her. Dude, and that's not me, man. Like, I could give to beep what you think of me. And it hit me so hard in my core that I gave my daughter back to God this past Saturday. It was painful, and I cried. And I called my friend, and I said, I, this is what I did, this is what happened, and this is my current third-step experience. I don't like it. And uh, she pointed out to me that I chose to do what was right for my daughter instead of what was right for my pride. I needed another human being to point that out to me. And when I got there, I was one of the first moms there. And I just want to share, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm catty. Um, <laughs> Maya's mom was like one of the last moms to show up. I never get to do that, so I'm totally taking the opportunity because I'm usually the last mom there. I've debated about saying what I'm about to say, and I've decided to take a risk and make myself vulnerable and say it. I've never been to the Atlantic group before because you overwhelm me. I am ashamed to be in your presence. I do not dress up for meetings. I do not do anything that isn't completely me. I'll look like this because I had a family to meet this afternoon. This morning I woke up, it was supposed to be a day, and one of my closest, closest sisters called me and said, I'm speaking at the Atlantic group. I can't do your accent, it's bad. And I said, oh, that's great, good luck. Because I don't, I don't like going out, like I don't, I'm not a people, there's, it's so peopley in here. <laughs> And I know that she doesn't like to drive, and she was going to take the train. And who wants to take the train? You want to go when you want to go? I'm so Jersey. Sorry, I can't. And um, I said, you know what? I'll take you. And sh I was as shocked as she was that those words came out of my mouth. Like, I, no, I don't want to leave the house after dark. No, I like to be in bed by 9. I don't like people. Um, I go to meetings because I have to. I sponsor people because I have to. I am sponsored because I have to. Um, and we made this whole thing. And we came in, and she told me this story about the fact that she used to, uh, I got to share this. Can I share this? She used, she, she really messed it all up, right? Shocker. And she wound up going from, like, up here, this really super important fancy job, to being a hostess at a restaurant around the corner where apparently y'all used to come in to eat after the meeting, and y'all used to give her the look. You know the look. See you in a few years. <laughs> we, I do it. I totally still do it. 
I see those people. I work with these people. I help them with other areas of life, and I'm like, and when you want to get sober, give me a call. (laughs) And so we went there for dinner tonight, and it was so special. Nicoletta, I met her when she got sober. How long have you been sober? 17? Almost 17. She's sweet 16. I am the most hard-edged, self-protected alcoholics that I know, and I'm from Jersey. (laughs) Nicoletta, from the day you got sober, have always represented vulnerability, honesty, love, softness, acceptance, love. Did I say love? She's a walking ball of love. She was asked to come speak here tonight. And because she is not appropriately dressed, she could not. And I watched her feel inferior. I don't think I've ever been so angry in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous in my life. I agreed to speak for her so that she could step out of that. You are perfect just the way God made you. Don't let anybody tell you that you're less than or not enough. And I implore you to see people for where they're at. And if you believe that God doesn't make too hard terms with those who seek them, do the same for us. Thanks for letting me share. My name is Preacher, I'm an alcoholic, and I chair the Atlantic Group. Let's thank tonight's speakers, Mindy O'Geart and Beth. You've heard a typical AA meeting, and we hope you will return and bring a friend.